Y'all may be seated. I'm a little emotional this morning. I just feel like we just got ushered right into the very presence of God. And he's just telling us how much he loves us. I don't know if y'all know, but I get nervous when I preach. <laughs> I love being up here. I love having a microphone on. Uh, that, that usually isn't the problem. But I take very seriously bringing the word to you. And today we're talking about prayer. David and I are starting a new series on discipleship. And I thought I'd start us off on prayer. I think, David, you're doing community next week. So talking about community. Um, but I thought... I, I, we need to talk about prayer. We need to look at what prayer really is. Oh, before I get started, I almost forgot. I apologize. Socks of the day. Ready? You ready? Fiat. Yeah. Huh? We used to have a little Fiat Abarth, you know, the really sporty one that sounded like somebody stuck a screwdriver in the muffler so it would go, it sounded really meaty and tough. Now we have, you know, a grandma and grandpa four-door Fiat, but we still love it. And it's the color of my socks. Um, but let's just get started in talking about prayer. Let me open with, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. That's Psalm 1914, in case you're curious. There you go. So we're starting off on this new series uh, just to figure out how we can maybe grow a little bit in our faith, how we can become more like Christ, like the one we sang about this morning. Um, and Henry Blackaby, who just as a matter of knowledge for y'all, was a very fine Southern Baptist writer and preacher. Um, he wrote a book called Experiencing God. And he said, prayer is God's invitation to stand in his presence and learn his heart. Prayer is God's invitation to stand in his presence and learn his heart. Thus, prayer is the means by which we get to know God. Ray Steadman, he wrote a book, and I brought my copy. It cost me $3.25 way back in like 1978. And it doesn't hold together anymore, so it has this clip on it to keep the pages in because I haven't re-glued it because then it'll just get stuck to each other, and there you go. But Ray Stedman is, was the pastor and then the pastor emeritus at Peninsula Bible, Bible Church up in Palo Alto, California, and he wrote this book, Jesus Teaches on Prayer, and he said, prayer is simply the expression of human need to an eager father. So we have two definitions of prayer. One is the means by which we get to know God, and it's also the means by which we bring our needs to God. So let's take a look at prayer. I've been thinking about prayer a lot lately. Uh, heck, it was in 2019. Is that when we went to the Rangers game up in, uh, in uh, Dallas? We went to the Rangers game. Our, our life group went, some of us. And... We uh, went to the Granbury Methodist Church at the time, and they had these little stickers on the backs of the chairs that said, if you want to get to know God better or engage with God more, here are some tools. 
And one of those tools was called Lectio, L-E-C-T-I-O, Lectio, listen, 365. Study, listen, Lectio 365. And um, ever since I've been doing that every day, every morning and every night, my prayer life has started to expand. I'm starting to think more in terms of prayer as being a part of my everyday life versus I come to church and I pray for the offering. I, you know, I, I, I pray when I do this. We pray before dinner. You know, all of those things. It's, it's kind of becoming integrated into my life. And as a Christ follower, I, I've been following Christ now since 1978. And as a Christ follower, prayer's always been hard work for me. And it's always been, I get bored. I mean, that's really bad to say that I get bored. But I like, I'm, I'm a kinesthetic learner, and I, and I want to be doing things, and I want to be listening, and I want to be active. And so to stop and take 30 minutes out and pray every day was like, oh, God, it's so boring. He's like, no, it's not. And I go, yes, it is. So he's been slowly working on me, and this Lectio 365 has been a real turning point in my life. And then women's Bible study started to look at prayer, and we read this book by Pete Grieg called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. So in this instance, I'm a normal people, okay? Normal. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Um, I can't recommend this book highly enough. Get this book. By the way, Pete Grieg is the one who started Prayer 24-7 and the Lectio 365 app that you can download on your phone for free. So now that I'm starting to um, learn more and more about prayer and starting to pray more and finding that I'm actually interacting with God, like that I have a real relationship with him, not just uh, I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to go do this, but I'm actually entering in to this relationship with God. How does ministry happen in my heart through prayer? Why is prayer so important? Is it really entirely necessary? If Jesus is the son of God, and I've got a spoiler alert, he is. I know. And he found it important to pray. Shouldn't we? He's the son of God. And he found it necessary when he walked on this earth to be constantly in prayer, to be constantly checking in with the Father, to be constantly asking, what's next? I love you. Communicating with the Father. So today we're going to look at the why and the what of Jesus' prayers. And I'm going to try and go, I know Ashley said I'm not allowed to say this, but I'm going to go fast because Southern Baptists preach for 45 minutes, okay? They preach... <laughs> Methodists don't preach for 45 minutes. <laughs> well, I'm shooting for 20, 25 at the most, okay? So I'm going to uh, not be speaking in tongues, but I'm going to be doing the Evelyn Wood speed reading <laughs> sermon this morning for you all. You have to be old to know who Evelyn Wood is. So let's look at Mark 14, 32 to 42 in the new, uh, today's new international version. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, that's the 12, the 12 disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John, that's like his inner leadership team, he took them along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it was possible that this hour might pass from him. This is the hour of uh, the crucifixion. He said, Abba, Father, Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to them, to him. They're, they're ashamed. So returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So he's praying before Judas comes and betrays him. And he just wants his buddies to, to pray with them for a while. And instead they fall asleep. I tell people when I listen to my Lectio Divina at night, the Lectio 365 at night, that sometimes I fall asleep. Because the guy has this, this great English accent. And he's praying over you and... You're kind of feeling like the Holy Spirit's entering in, and then pretty soon you wake up, and it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, whoop. <laughs> but, I always, but, I, but I don't think God minds, because I'm falling asleep with somebody praying over me and reading Scripture over me. And that's a great way to fall asleep. So why did Jesus pray? Said he went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Why did he pray? First of all, he found that he needed it. He just needed it. His ministry and life were so extremely busy that he needed it. The busier your life gets, the more you need to pray. The busier your life gets, the more you need to pray. Because you're not really in control, even though you think you are. He just found that he needed it, and it was simply his habit. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus emptied himself of his godness. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus became just as human as you are, just as human as I am. And he needed prayer. Prayer was also like breathing to him. It just was part of who he was. It was so natural to him that it was unthinkable that he could live life fully without prayer. Someone once said, for the Christian... Praying should be like breathing, just as breathing is the response of the physical life to the presence of air, so prayer should be the response of the spiritual life to the presence of God. When we stop breathing, we stop living. When we stop praying, we start dying. We need prayer. Brother Lawrence, last book, Show and Tell, was uh, alive in the 1614 to 1691. He was a monk, and he wrote this book, Practice the Presence of God. And he was a big wig in 
the monastery. It was his job to do the dishes. That was his job. He didn't make it to, you know, super monastery, bald guy with the funny haircut. He didn't make it up to the top rung. He made it to dishwasher and, in essence, toilet bowl cleaner. You use your imagination on that one. And this is what he said. He prayed daily as a practice, and one of his famous prayers was, Lord of all pots and pans and things, since I have no time to be a great saint by doing lovely things, or watching late with thee, or dreaming in the dawn light, or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love, and light it with thy peace. Forgive me all my worrying and make my grumbling cease. Thou who didst love to give men food in room or by sea, accept the service that I do, I do it all unto thee. Lord of pots and pans and things. Jesus knew that life apart from the Father, was, he was powerless. That in John 5.19, I can do nothing apart from the, the Father. And this created in him an expectancy that God would work. When you are praying for things, are you just going through a list and going through the list and going through the list? Or are you praying, expecting God to make a difference? Expecting God to change you? Expecting God to actually interact with you? That's what God wants to do in our lives. During the Apollo, oh, he never thought of prayer as an emergency measure. This is really important. Jesus never thought of prayer as an emergency measure. I think of prayer as an emergency measure all the time. Ah, help! Right? Jesus didn't do that. He just prayed. There was no emergency measure. Even going to the cross, even going to Gethsemane, it was so natural for him to pray that he didn't panic. He prayed. During the Apollo mission, uh, missions to the moon, the spaceships were off course more than 90% of the time. 90% of the time they were off course. Yet through continual communication with mission control, they were able to make the necessary corrections. In our journey through life, we too are off course most of the time because we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. In fact, we rarely get it right. That's the beauty of Jesus. Constant communication with God is the key. Oop, I took too many pages here. Um, <clears throat> now that we know, I'm, I'm going fast this morning and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm feeling kind of herky-jerky, but I want to get this stuff out to you. Now that we know why he prayed, he tells us why he prayed, what did he pray about? And uh, I'm not even going to begin to touch the surface of everything that Jesus prayed about. Remember, Son of God living just as we do here on earth. The first thing we know that he uh, prayed was thankfulness. He expressed his thankfulness to God. John 6, 11, he, he gets to the, the part, I love this story. It's the story of the five loaves and two fishes. And the Bible says that there are 5,000 men there. They didn't count the women they didn't count the children, so probably there were more like fifteen to 20,000 people. And Jesus takes the bread and he thanks God for it. Thank you for this provision for all these people. And he broke it 
and they ate until they were full. And he did the same with the fish. He thanked God for what he knew God was going to do. He thanked God for his provision. Sometimes you can't see what God's going to do, but you can still be grateful that he never acts outside of his character and that he will always act with your best interest at heart, even if it hurts a little bit sometimes, even if it hurts just a little bit. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson said, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep. Are you asleep or are you fully engaged in life? Secondly, he sought counsel. He sought help. Jesus needed help. Luke 6, 12, on one of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. He needed help. I don't know which 12 guys to pick, God. Who do I choose? And then after that, he chose 70 more and sent them out into the world. And you and I are here in this building this morning because Jesus said, God, I need your wisdom. Who do I pick? Who do I send out into the world? Who's going to be faithful to take the gospel into the world? And we're here today because of the faithfulness of Jesus seeking God's face, of asking the question and seeking his help. If Jesus needed the counsel of God, shouldn't we? This is one of my favorite quotes. Gary Odell said, there is a God and it isn't you. Yeah, thank God. I, I preached that once way back in 2001 or 2002 and somebody in that church service came up to me afterwards and said, why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> Well, I tell you, Sherry. <laughs> but we often act as if we are God and we can figure it out. God, the son of God, who was fully man, said, I need help, Lord. And he sought help. Next, he interceded for others. He stood as a go-between for others. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays for us. He interceded for them. Intercession means, I, I'm, Blake, I'm going to use your example today. Here's Blake. Blake is having some big surgery tomorrow. He's facing some scary things. Here is God. He may be worried. He may be nervous. I don't know. But I do know this. I am privileged to stand in the middle, in the gap, and reach out and pray over Blake and bring him into the presence of the throne room of Jesus. Intercede. I will stand for Blake. I will pray for Blake. And I want you to join me all tomorrow in praying for Blake. What a huge privilege we have to stand in the gap for our friend. That's intercession. You don't even have to know Blake. Just know that his name is Blake and, and he needs your prayer. You don't have to be best friends with anybody to stand in the gap for them. You just have to pray and bring them into the presence so right before Peter betrays Jesus three times, Jesus prayed for him. In Luke 22, 31 to 32, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter, you are going to blow it big time. You are going to deny me three times, but before you've even had the chance to deny me, I have prayed 
for you. Jesus has interceded for Peter already. D.L. Moody said, behind every act of God, you will find a kneeling form. Be that kneeling form. Uh, fourth, he prayed for co uh, communion with his father to be one. What does the ministry of the Holy Spirit look like in your heart when you are hurting? I, I, I really struggled with this sermon this week, and all the way up until I stood to come up here, I was like, I, 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 God, there's so much I want to say, Lord. And I was nervous and twisted. Bob Danhauer put his arms on my shoulders while we were worshiping. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, we got this. It doesn't matter if you make a fool out of yourself. I've got this through you. And I immediately felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you have hurts in the deepest parts of your life. But you know in your knower. You know what your knower is? Your knower is that part deep down inside of her where you just know. You know in your knower that God's got you covered. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, do I experience communion with God or do I just experience list giving? Am I meeting God face to face and having a relationship with him? Or am I meeting God face to list so that he knows what I need him to do? As if I, Aaron Lee Dennis Girdler I, could ever tell God how to do something and why he should do it my way. But I bring my list. <laughs> Jesus also prays for those that hurt you. This was a big lesson that we learned in uh, our family when my son was in seventh grade. He says to love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And then he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. What's up with that? I want to pray those psalms that say, get them, God. May you smite them down with your mighty armies. May you be victorious in my life. May they be as rubble on the ground. That's the psalm I want to pray. And Jesus says, bless those that curse you. When Ben was in the seventh grade, he was in history class, and these three boys just had it out for him. So Neil and I thought we should call in a hit squad. That seemed like about the most mature thing we could do is just take the boys out, problem solved, our boy's good. A friend of mine named Jill Katie said, why don't you and Neil and Ben pray blessings every night on those boys that are persecuting Ben? And I said, What? I'd like my idea better. So we started praying blessings on them. And within a few weeks, guess what? The really brilliant teacher, because she was really good, didn't say a word to the boys, didn't say a word to Ben, but suddenly the three boys got separated and moved to different parts of the classroom. So they were no longer feeding off of each other. And Ben was blessed. And we prayed blessings on those boys, and we saw God work. What to a seventh grade boy was a miracle. Bless those that curse you. Another thing that he prayed for was uh, to avoid temptation. 
and to make us holy. He, he, he tells us to not take our eyes off the Father. When you are weary, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of the Father. Sometimes, don't you just go, I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired of walking. I'm tired of walking with you. I just want you to give me two days, one day, where it's all great. And then Snowmageddon hits, and you go, well, that was an interesting plan we came up with. Jesus prayed against temptation so that we would not fall into temptation and grow weary. He also prays to keep us from the evil one in John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. If we get taken out of the world, how's the rest of the world going to know Jesus? How are they going to know about salvation? Jesus doesn't protect us by taking us out of the world. He protects us by protecting us in the world and sending us forth. And he prays for us to be holy. Uh, he also prays for us to be unified. I'm not going to go into tremendous detail here, but I have some real strong feelings on this. And I am still praying for our church, Rockbridge included, but for our church to be unified because God doesn't like splits. God wants us one. And I think my God's big enough to do that. And so I'm still praying for that. Maybe I'm barking up, you know, the psychedelic unicorn tree. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that God, God tells us that we need to be unified, that we are one. He also prays for us to be persistent, finally. Luke 18, 1 to 5 tells us to be persistent. Don't give up. I know when I was battling addiction, every day I would get up and go, I really want to abuse my medication today. Oh, Lord, don't you know I would be so much better with it. And every day I would persistently pray that God would protect me and would take that desire away from me. And you know what? He has protected me and he's never taken the desire away. Because when I am weak, he is strong. So I will persistently pray for weakness so that he can be strong in me. And he wants to do that in you. We need to persevere. Don't give up. Ernest Walker writes, more than half a century ago, George Mueller, who was a, just a great man of God and uh, wrote many, many things on intercessory prayer, began to pray for a group of five personal friends after five years, one of them came to Christ. And in 10 years, two more came. So three out of the five came within 10 years. He prayed for 25 more years, and the fourth man was saved. And the fifth, he prayed for him until the time of his death. And this friend came to Christ a few months afterwards. Mueller had prayed for that man for 52 years. And there was great rejoicing in heaven because he was so persistent. Persevere. Don't give up. Bring your requests. Bring your hurts. Bring your, your fears. Bring your temptations. Bring all of it to the throne room of grace. And in Hebrews, he says to come boldly into the throne room of grace. 
You know what I think of when I see that, when I read that verse? I think of myself as flinging open the throne room doors, yelling, here I come, and running in and sliding safe into the feet of Jesus. That's how I see it, because Jesus wants us to come. I want to tell you a story about my grandma and my Annie Seal. Grandma and Annie Seal were prayer warriors. They loved the Lord. And for more than 70 years, they got up every morning at 4 a.m. and started praying for people. You don't mess with Grandma and Annie Seal. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Lu- Seal is Lucille, but, you know, she is from Mississippi, so it became Seal. And Grandma was just Grandma. I mean, her name is Elizabeth, but who would call her that? So Grandma and Annie Seal would pray. And they'd get up at 4 a.m. and they'd start praying for everybody that they could think of and just listen to God. And they'd pray for two, three, four hours until they felt released. And then they'd go about their day. Well, one day somebody spilled the news to Grandma and Annie Seal that I know was no longer walking with the Lord. And in fact, had made the stupid statement that if I had ever followed Christ, I now rejected him because I wanted nothing more to do with God because I had been hurt too much in my life. Big mistake. Big, 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 big mistake. Grandma and Annie Seal started getting up at 4 a.m. and praying for me every single day. And when I finally came back to the Lord after about a year, Grandma says, well, I'm so glad, honey, Because, you know, I'd already recruited over 600 people to pray for you, and I just didn't have that many more friends I could call on. (laughs) Don't mess with Grandma Nanny Seal. You will be prayed into the kingdom of God. Be persistent. Keep knocking. Keep bringing those requests to the Lord. So how far are you from the thought that God is working in your life? Perhaps you need to practice persistence or thankfulness or adoration. This week, think about what Jesus found value in praying about and pursue one or two of those areas in your life that just might radically impact your life this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.